God speaks to us in his word in Mark 9, 14 through 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd when they saw him were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You, mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you, Kim. Why is it that they, for the uh, audio Bibles, they always hire the uh, boring voices and the horrible ones? I want Kim to do them from here on out. Can you start recording the audio Bibles? It's, it, man, like the life in this passage, the life in this passage. There's so much going on. There's so much we're going to dig in to. Uh, but first, if, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jeff Nine. I'm one of the pastors at Frontline. Um, if you're also, if you're new to Frontline, you may not be aware of this, that Frontline is actually uh, a part, is, is one of five congregations across kind of the Oklahoma City metro and then out here in the Shawnee. And I get the privilege of serving the church as a whole in the areas of church planning and church strengthening, which I love. But I also love the fact that what we're trying to do is, we're, is, is when, when God calls the church to a place, he calls it to a place, right? He, he doesn't call the church to generally be out there, but actually to be in a place. And so this is why we do Frontline Shawnee. We don't just have some megaplex downtown and we all drive in an hour to go to the megaplex. We actually are gathering here in Shawnee to do ministry in Shawnee. And I get to serve during the week, most weeks, in our Yukon congregation, which we just planted in the middle of COVID, which was a great idea. Church planting in a pandemic's awesome. We thought it was so awesome, we decided to do it four times over. Uh, we're planting in that congregation, three other churches. It's been a mess, but it's also been this invitation from the Lord to trust him in these ways. But it's been beautiful that we've actually been able to do ministry in Yukon that we weren't able to do in Yukon from downtown. 
much the way that ministry happens here in Shawnee differently and better than it would if we were doing ministry here from another place. And so I want to thank you for being faithful, uh, faithful members of this local church, that we're a part of a larger thing, and that's beautiful. But actually, we get to do ministry here. And so thankful, thank you for your faithfulness. And I just love being able to get out here every so often and hang with you, you guys. So, hey, I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pray for me because I actually do believe that this text that Kim just read uh, invites us into some really profound things. So, some things that may be new for you, but also for some of you, it may seem old. Like it, may, it may seem like something you've already dealt with before, but I think there's a, the, the Lord's always bringing us even closer and closer to truths that we may have believed and affirmed in the past, but he's bringing us even more closely to them in the present. So I'm going to ask that God's going to do that. So Jesus, would you speak to us today? Holy Spirit, those areas in our life where we find ourselves like the crowd or like the disciples or like this father or like this son represented in the story we're in desperate need of you, and we can't see clearly. We need you to open our eyes to see clearly. So would you speak to us? Would you work in our hearts today, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. As, as we've been to the book of Mark, you may remember a couple of weeks ago, a very odd, let's just say, story in which Jesus is healing this blind man at Bethsaida, uh, and, and, and he does it. This, this man comes up for healing, and Jesus spits in his eye, which let's just remember, that was weird even before COVID, but especially now, like you don't spit in somebody's face. He spit in his eyes, covered his, covered, covered his eyes, pulls back and says, what do you see? And he goes, um... I see trees, I think, something going around. And, and then Jesus covers his eyes again and then pulls back and he can see clearly. Now, that's a weird story in a lot of ways. But, but we miss something if we think it was just about the miracle itself, that this man is healed. He's actually, there's actually a prophecy in the healing itself. He's, he's showing the way, he, he's giving a demonstration in real life with this man of what is actually happening in the lives and the hearts of the disciples and many of the others that were following Jesus in this time, that they were blind spiritually. They couldn't see. But as Jesus began to do ministry in the book of Mark, they begin to see kind of like trees around. They kind of had a foggy idea of what was happening, but they couldn't see clearly. And it wasn't going to be until later on that they would see clearly. In that prophetic image, we are right now in the middle of them being kind of foggy. They're seeing trees, but they're not actually understanding the deep reality. They're seeing Jesus do miracles, but they don't understand what he's really doing. They, they, they think they have an idea of who Jesus is, but they haven't really wrestled with who he is at a deep level. That's what this story is in the midst of. And we have to own that we are blind and the Lord is giving us sight. But sometimes we need more clarity than we had before. Uh, it, it was interesting this morning as I was driving in and... Uh, <clears throat> driving into to Shawnee uh, from Yukon. I was listening to this podcast by Ezra Klein, and uh, he was interviewing in this, in this podcast a guy named Holden uh, Karnofsky. Um, it was a total nerd podcast, so if you're a nerd, go look it up. It's great. Um, but in this particular one, he's dealing with, with, with this guy, or he's talking to this guy, Holden, and, and what Holden does is he works for a group that helps uh, in the area of philanthropy, and he, and, and he helps with people that have lots of money, and they're trying to figure out how to use that money best to, to advance good in the world. 
So, so what he does is they, they evaluate nonprofits and they evaluate organizations, global organizations. They go, how far does your dollar, if you give them a dollar, what, is the, what are the implications of that? Which is a smart thing to ask, right? And so they're, they're having this conversation about how they measure effectiveness in these nonprofits and how they do all that kind of stuff. And it was like, yeah, yeah, okay, that was, that was interesting. It got really, really interesting about halfway through this podcast when all of a sudden they turned their attention and they started asking this question. What does it mean for us to work good for the future? How do, how do we define what good is, and how do we know that what we're doing is actually moving towards good? It was a fascinating conversation. It involved everything from how do we mine meteors for, for material so that we can make more computers. That was weird in and of itself. But then they started talking about uh, the idea of, of, of AI and what artificial intelligence can mean. And, and is this going to mean utopia, or are the machines going to win? Right? Like, it's just that conversation. Is, is a matrix our future or something, something else? Fascinating conversation. But here's the thing. In the midst of their conversation, they're asking this question of what is good and how do we procure it and how do we move towards it? But I found there were some questions that they never voiced, but they were asking at a deep level. They were ultimately asking these three questions, I think. Who has the power? in this particular case, to, to execute good, to bring good upon the earth. Who has power? What is the nature of faith? And by faith, they're not talking religious faith at all, but they're asking this question of who do we trust and what do we believe in? And then the last question they're, they're left asking is where is our hope? I think all three of those questions are questions we are being confronted with in this passage that we just read. I think these three questions, who has the power what is the nature of faith and where is our hope is all through this passage. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reread it, not because Kim didn't do an awesome job. She did. But I want us to reread it with those questions in our mind as we go through it. Who has the power? What's the nature of faith and where is our hope? Let's, let's look at Mark 9, starting in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he said to them, or he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now I want you to put yourself in the, in the shoes of Jesus' disciples for just a moment. Imagine their confusion. 
a few weeks back, or maybe a, a, a couple months back, when we were in Mark 6, we saw this story in which Jesus brought his disciples, and he brought them to himself, and he said, I've given you all authority over the unclean spirits, and he sends about two by two to go and do ministry in the countryside around. And so that's what happens. The disciples leave, and they come back, and they've got these incredible stories of all that had happened. They're, they're amazed. The things that Jesus had done, now we got to do. And, and the text says in verse 13, Mark 6, that they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, were sick and healed them. They were doing just what Jesus had done. Now, I don't know if this just went to their head or not. But now they find themselves in a situation in which another boy that's being demon-possessed comes. And they're like, hey, I got this. Watch this. Only it didn't go well, Right? <laughs> It didn't go well. They, they thought they could cast this demon out. They've cast other demons out. And, and they find themselves confused because, because they can't. Which I think is forcing them and everybody in the story to ask this question of who has the power here? I mean, it looks pretty obvious right here that the demon has the power. He, he's possessed this boy for many, many years. This, this, this son has been, uh, has been tormented for years and nobody can seem to bring freedom. Now, we would think that maybe the disciples have power. The, the disciples have had power with other demons before, and so you, you wonder if they're just thinking, hey, maybe, maybe we're just in the first half of the ball game and we're not doing so well. You know, kind of like the Sooners last week. You know, we're halfway through this thing. We, we, need, to go into the, we need to go into the locker room. We need to make some halftime adjustments. We need to get a new quarterback in there. We're going to make everything work, and then we're going to come back out and win Boomer Sooner. It actually works. It doesn't always work, does it? Doesn't always work, but, but it did work last week. It didn't work for the disciples. They're like, I, do we have the power? Did we just do something wrong? Did I say the wrong words? Did I not have enough faith? What happened? I think there's also this question that's kind of implied in the text of, is the power in the faith itself? In other words, is, is the faith kind of like the force? It's this thing that if I know how to navigate it just right, I can, I can get it to do things for me. Is the power... In the demons, is the power in the disciples, is the power in the faith itself. And the text would say very clearly, no. Who has the power? Jesus has the power. Jesus has the power. You see, what we're witnessing right now is a clash of kingdoms. If you remember last week, if you were here last week, we talked about when Jesus took three of his disciples and they went up to the top of the mountain. And while they're there, his, his clothes and entire body is transformed before them in this transfiguration, and they see him in his glory the way they'd never seen him before. That Jesus, these three disciples see Jesus as they've never seen him before in his glory. And there's, there's this understanding that Jesus isn't who we thought he was, and his kingdom isn't what we thought it was. And they come down from this mountain, and they see this clash of kingdoms. This clash of kingdoms. It's not a clash between the kingdom of the disciples and the kingdom of the demons. It's not, it's not a clash of the faith-filled or the faithless. It's a, it's a clash of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Now, what we're witnessing right now, what these three disciples got a glimpse of on the mountain, what all the disciples right now see is this clash of two kingdoms, and let's just be honest, there's no competition. Jesus isn't like, oh, I hope I can eat out a win on this one. There's no competition here. There's no competition. But it's also important to recognize that the power of the kingdom is not, a, is not a sword that we wield. It's not a weapon or a tool that we utilize. It's not my power. It's not my kingdom. It's, it's not something that I can manufacture. 
that what we're seeing here is the power is not in the disciples. The power is not in the demons. They get defeated. The power is not in the faith. The power is not in me. The power is in the king. The king. That's a beautiful thing to behold. But we could stop there, and I think we'd be really unsatisfied because there's some questions in this text that we need to wrestle with. Okay, yes, the power is in Jesus. But there's two comments, one that Jesus makes in this ex, ex, uh, ex, exclamation of the Father that, that, that stir us to ask a, a question about faith. Jesus says, uh, he, he calls out this faithless generation, and we see the, the Father say, I believe, but help my unbelief, and it's leading us to ask the question, what actually is faith? What actually is faith? See, faith so far in the book of Mark's already been a big deal. In chapter 2, in chapter 2, the, 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 these friends have a, a, another friend who's, uh, who's paralyzed and, and needs to be healed, and they can't get to Jesus, so they tear a, a hole in the roof and they lower him down. Remember that story? They, they bring him down in front of Jesus, and, and Jesus makes the comment, or, or the text makes the comment that when Jesus saw their faith, two things happened. He forgave them of their sins, and he healed the paralytic. But it says, when Jesus saw their faith, there, a direct connection between what Jesus did and the faith that they had. In chapter 4, the, the disciples are in a boat on the sea with Jesus. Jesus is taking a nap, and they're freaking out because a storm just blew in, and they think they're going to die. Remember that one? That one was fun. Um, that, that, that Jesus is sitting there. They wake up Jesus. Jesus calms the storm, and he's kinda, he turns to them and goes, Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? The next chapter, chapter 5, we have this woman with an issue of blood that's been, that's been dominating her life for probably decades at this point. And she clings to Jesus in faith. He heals her, and then he says these words, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, next chapter, chapter 10, we're going to get to this later. Blind Bartimaeus comes to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus says to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. So if we try to escape out of this passage without asking the question of what is the nature of faith, I think we're doing a disservice to this text and we're not actually learning from this text. So let's look at these verses, verses 19 through 24, and let's ask this question, what is the nature of faith? And he, Jesus, answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. You see right here this text in which Jesus is calling out for faith and the Father's grasping, grasping at it, almost like grasping a fog. He can't seem to quite get it. Jesus is exasperated by the faithfulness, faithlessness of this crowd, which makes sense. And Jesus has been doing all kinds of things around Jesus has been doing miracles that have, have gone, the, the word has spread all the way through the nation of Israel. People from Jerusalem a couple chapters back were coming back to try to check out what was happening here. 
But he, but he recognized in this moment that even though they're seeing the miracles, they're still blind. They still don't see the reality of who Jesus really is. And they haven't placed their faith in him. They've placed their faith in the fact that he's a magician. When we look at this text and we hear it talk about the importance of faith, we read the rest of these, these, these verses in Mark and we see the importance of faith. And I think we're, we've, we've got to, as, as we wrestle with the question of what does it mean to have faith, there's two mistakes we can make. One is to overinterpret the passage, one is to underinterpret. To overinterpret, here's what I mean. I can look at this passage or I can look at like one in, in James 5. In, in James 5, the text says that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And we're like, okay, there it is. If you have faith and you pray, then voila, you get what you want. Faith's a power. So there are whole theological paradigms, whole churches and denominations and movements that center around, if only you have faith, then you can have your healing. If only you have faith, then you can have the money, the wealth, the position, the, the harmony of soul, the joy in your heart. If only you have faith. So are you suffering? You don't have enough faith. Actually, I had one of my family members who's a pastor basically tell me that. I have some pretty severe health problems and he goes, I think you just need to have more faith. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to muster all the faith I've got. And this, this way of understanding faith begins to to shame, because oh, you just don't have enough faith, if you had enough faith. Here's what I want to do. I want to back up and I want to go, if that was the case, and somehow you could muster up faith, that everything you asked for, you got, who are you actually believing? I believe me, because I'm the one that asked for the thing, that knows the thing, that we need to have the thing. That I actually am not trusting in God at that point, I'm trusting in me. And I'm mustering up faith like the force or some magic incantation to, to bring my will into reality. That's not faith in Jesus. That's faith in me. And I'm using Jesus. And if I look throughout the, throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, what do I see repeatedly but some of the most faith-filled men and women pleading with God for answers to their prayers only for God to say, no, or not now, or not yet, or not this way. Jesus himself, in the Garden of Gethsemane, pleads with his Father to let this cup pass from me. And Jesus' answer, or that Jesus' prayer, is not answered the way he hoped. So if we think that somehow faith is just this thing that I conjure up and I get what I want, then we're misunderstanding the nature of faith. But that's over-interpreting the passage. There's also a way to under-interpret it. Because what we see is we've seen those times that out of faith and as much faith as I could muster, I prayed for something and I didn't get it. And we begin to think that faith actually doesn't matter at all. That somehow our, our faith is, is, is inconsequential. God is sovereign. God is powerful. God is wise. He knows what he's going to do. He's going to do it. Doesn't matter what you ask for. Doesn't matter how much faith you have. And that, that's not remotely something you can come away from this text with. This text won't let you get away with thinking that faith is a force and it also won't, get you, it won't let you get away with saying that faith doesn't matter. Because there is a call in this text towards faith. You see, Jesus isn't saying, if only, speaking to the Father, if only you or the disciples had more faith early on, this demon would already be gone. What he's saying is that your faith, your hope was misaligned. You hoped in the wrong thing. 
He's calling them to greater faith, not lesser faith. Faith matters. Faith is required. The call to faith that Jesus has is real. But it's not faith in my my prayers being answered. It is my faith in the one to whom I pray. The other beautiful thing that we learn about this passage is that, 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 that faith is not only effectual when it's perfected which is really good news because my faith doesn't feel very perfected. That this father comes and says, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus still meets him there. His faith wasn't perfect. Jesus wasn't waiting for him to figure it out. Jesus moves to him with the faith that he has and meets him there. You see, faith is not a formula for production It's not a mechanism that we wield. It's not a tool that we wield. It's not a magic ingredient. It is trust in our king. If you're here and you'd say, I'm I'm not a Christian. I I don't follow Jesus. I'm I'm here, but I'm I'm not quite sure what I believe. And let me, I just want to say to you, um, this text is calling to you too. Because I don't know what you put your, put your hope and your trust in. I, I don't know what it is, where it is that you think you're finding your hope. But let me just say, um, nothing will satisfy except Jesus. There is nothing that you can place your faith in that will, that will, that will be worthy of that trust except for Jesus himself. And that's something that if you've got questions about, I would love to talk. I'd love to talk about even my own story and share. And so afterwards, if you want to engage and talk about that, I would love to talk. But I'm going to ask you this. Please don't leave here with ask, asking that question. Now, I don't think very many of us would be, are, are shocked. Because even if we're not a Christian, or maybe even if we didn't grow up in the church, we've probably been around long enough. I mean, this is Shawnee, Oklahoma. This is Baptist world, right? So like, I think we've been around long enough to have at least heard these ideas that Jesus is powerful and that faith is a good thing. I think we've been to Hobby Lobby enough to know that, uh, that these, are, these are realities. But there's a wide chasm often between the things that we claim and the ways that we live. There's often a wide chasm between the things that we claim to believe and the ways that we actually live. So I don't want us to answer this question theoretically, theologically. I want us to ask this question of, where is my hope? Because if we start with the question, who has the power, and we answer it, Jesus, and if we say, what is the nature of faith? We say it's trust in King Jesus. Then here's the question, where is our hope? Not the general hope our hope. Too often I think we put our hope in our ability to figure things out, our wisdom, our strength, our how we vote, what I like on social media. Put our hope in a lot of things, don't we? Put our hope in who got elected and who didn't. We put our hope in did I get the job or the promotion or did I not? Put our hope in all kinds of things. But those things, as we sang about just a few minutes ago, are sinking sand. They're sinking sand. 
We sang, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And yet so often we stand in that sand because we prayed to the rock and we didn't get the answer we wanted from the rock. And so we abandon that hope. What is Jesus calling us to here? He's calling us to place our hope in him. Not not in the answers that he gives to our prayers. Not even in the words of the wise Garth Brooks, the unanswered prayers of God. If you don't know that song, sorry. Our our hope is in King Jesus. And our hope is in who he is. That we don't just see him as a a tree wandering around, but we see him clearly by by the Holy Spirit. We want to see him as he is. See, King Jesus is the creator of this world. No one cares more about this creation than Jesus. Nobody. I don't, he's not having, oh boy, what are they going to do? Oh boy, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Or he doesn't, he's not indifferent to the world. I'm go take a nap, leave it to them, they'll figure it out. That's not how this works. He is the creator and he cares for his creation. God is our father who loves and cares for us as his children. For the parents in the room, you know that sometimes the answer you give your kids is not the answer they wanted. But that when we're at our best, we're loving them selflessly. And we're doing what's in their best interest. That is our God. The difference is our God actually knows what to do. And we as parents are like, I don't know. He knows. He's a perfect, good father. Jesus is the king over the universe. I, I know we say those words, but I don't know that we let them sink in sometimes. He's not out of control. He hasn't lost control. Our hope is not in him waking up from a nap and coming down and fixing stuff. Our hope is in that he holds this place and he holds me. Our hope is that he is the one that delivers. He's the one that heals This is why these stories in Mark are so remarkable and there's such an invitation for us that Jesus doesn't just blindly move past sickness and illness. He actually moves towards it and he brings healing and redemption. That's the God we serve. That's the God we love. And he is the good shepherd, the one who is there. Now I want to reiterate, our, our hope is not in him answering our prayers the way we want them him to. He did that here. But he doesn't always. There are times when I've wrestled as a pastor with faith as I've prayed for somebody who has dealt with chronic pain for years and years and years and years and years. And I'm tempted to put my hope in that God might heal, not my hope in the one that holds their healing is with us now. This is the invitation in this story. Not to muster up enough faith so that you have the power, but to place your faith and hope in the one who does. That is pretty good news. That right there is pretty good news. So I don't know what you brought in the room this morning. I don't know where you've been. You've had just an incredible week and you're trusting Jesus and you're walking in this hope. I just want to say, man, thank you. Thank you, God, for for him walking with you in that place. 
And I'm just going to ask you to continue to lean in on that and, and to, to bring that hope to others. But, but you might have you stumbled in today and barely got here because you're carrying burdens you don't know how to carry. And if that's you, I want you to hear the call of God to you is to trust him. Place your hope in him, for he is worthy. Let's pray.